This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, Alicia, I think we could talk about the fact that there is a battle royale to be the third most powerful person in America. I think we could talk about the fact that the government's being funded. I think we could talk about the fact that Donald Trump has made the most insane statements yet. What do you want to talk about? Taylor Swift. Let's talk about Taylor Swift. Hey, Matt Robeson, <laughs> Balance of Power Roundtable. Not much of a roundtable, it's a linear table because it just is out of pocket. I'm not sure what the expression out of pocket means. It actually drives my wife crazy when I use that expression. I love that expression. I'm just not sure what it means, but he's not here. So it's you and me, Alicia, and we are relatively balanced. You're on the right, I'm center left. So we're balanced. All right, seriously, we'll, we'll talk about Taylor Swift for a minute. Let's talk about Taylor Swift. It's just the most fun story. It's been going on. Taylor Swift gate has been going on for what, 10 days now? She attended first one football game with football star Travis Kelsey, and then a second football game with football star Travis, or to watch football star Travis Kelsey. It's a little political, this story. It's not just like one of the biggest news stories in the world and like the biggest gossip story, but there's a politics angle because Republicans have kind of, some sect of the commentary has lost their minds about this because apparently reasons, I don't know, tap into the mental mind cloud that comes from your side of the political divide, Alicia. Why are conservatives, so-called conservatives, so upset about Taylor Swift? I have no idea. I think this whole thing is weird. And and by weird, I'm not even talking the political side. Look, I like Taylor Swift's early music. I got a 19-year-old kid, so I had to listen to her early music nonstop for years. It's fine. I think she got a little affected as time went on. But she's like one of the most famous people in the entire world, right? And one of the most successful entertainers. I still just think it's weird that it's leading newscasts that she goes to a football game. It's creepy. I get it if it's on TMZ. I get it if it's in my People magazine that I still read the physical one every single month. But why is it leading like actual newscasts? It's strange. It's creepy. I and do think the, it's it's creepy. Know. Yeah, I do think it's creepy. One, I don't get the commentary out there on Twitter from At the right wing. Yes. The, the X-rated commentary. Oh, she's just doing this for attention. No <laughs> numb skulls. She's the most attended person on earth. She's more famous than almost anyone else. I had else. never heard of Kelsey until her. Never now, heard of him. Believe me, she doesn't need more attention. She's doing fine. Okay, so that part is weird. I understand why conservatives are upset because- well, She doesn't like Trump. She doesn't like Trump. And she doesn't like Marsha Blackburn, who is also uh, from Tennessee, like Taylor. And unlike Taylor, Marsha Blackburn is super against abortion and against, there's this viral video of Taylor kind of speaking to a documentarian and kind of breaking into tears. I don't know, maybe conservatives think that's performative too, but she seemed genuinely upset that Marsha Blackburn was against anti-stalker laws and she seems to genuinely feel some stuff from the left. And all right, I guess that upsets Look, I personally think, and there are left and righties in Hollywood and elsewhere. I don't get why 
entertainers get publicly involved with politics like it never used to happen and everyone has the right to an opinion i'm not saying that i just think stay in your lane that's not your expertise voice your opinion but don't pretend you have a soapbox beyond your entertainment i don't know why they do it because it alienates an audience that being said they have every right to do it i don't care what entertainers think of politics because as far as i'm concerned they're just one vote just like me but it's not going to hurt taylor swift because she could never sing another lyric for the rest of her life and she'd still be fine for the rest of her Would you rather go to a Taylor Swift concert or a Beyonce concert? That's a tough one. I don't know. I don't know. I think at this point, like you, because I have a 12-year-old daughter, I have had a direct IV mainline drip of Taylor Swift. It's not a drip. It's more of a flood of Taylor Swift. And it's gotten to the point where I have Stockholm Syndrome with Taylor Swift. I actually quite like her music now. And I'm not sure if I genuinely feel this or it's just I've eaten so much of it that it's You've been it's indoctrinated like, by your child. I, 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 You've I been indoctrinated I've, by your child. You know what the worst thing? I'm going to have the following over my beloved spouse for the rest of our lives. About a year ago, I said, hey, you know what we should do? We should surprise our kids by getting Taylor Swift concerts. This was before this big concert tour. Let's just do it. We'll just go. It'll be awesome. And she was like, no. She didn't just poo-poo it. She like flat lamb the the foot down. I, I just I loved I just loved telling this because then it turned out that they are all really into Taylor Swift now, and I get to be like, your mom took this away. Mommy from said no. It's, so, it's, it's all right. I'm wrong about absolutely everything else. All right, we can move on from Taylor Swift. I just I, every I just let me give a piece a piece of free advice to all of the right wingers out there who are trying to make hay of this. You're losing. Okay, you're losing this battle. Everybody, Why do we care? I don't care. I just like I just, to self-own, like all of these right-wing morons who are like- I'm a you know, right-winger, but I don't no care. No, we're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. I am. Oh, you're, just trying, to, you're just trying to- Fiscal conservative principles and that live, let live. doesn't make you a right-wing. No, that doesn't make you a right-winger. Do whatever you, you are, want as long as it doesn't hurt me. That's my philosophy philosophical conservative is what that you are. That makes me sound look, far more intellectual um, than I am. Speaking of right-wingers who are stepping on rakes right now, what do you make of the whole Matt Gates dust-up? Let me give the snapshot of what's happening. As threatened, Matt Gates has issued a motion to vacate. I know people don't want the procedures. So basically what it means is he's trying to force Kevin McCarthy Adam to the presidency. He is the most powerful Republican in Washington right now, in America right now. This is a big deal. It comes on the heels of Kevin McCarthy making an absolute stunner of a move over the weekend to keep the government from shutting down, defying his talk about real right-wingers. Alicia, those are right-wingers, okay? You're not one of those. He defied the right-wing and kept the government open, and now Matt Gates says, nope, this shall not stand. We must destroy America. And I also, along the way, want to take out Kevin McCarthy for some reason. There is so much going on with this story. Let's try to unpack it a little bit. First of all, what do you expect to happen here? Do you expect... Kevin McCarthy at the end of the day to survive this? Yes. And I'm going to say yes and go out on a limb and do that because two weeks ago, I said on this program, there was only a 10% chance of a government shutdown. And I believe that. Last week, I said, I because I should have stuck to my guns because I actually believed it, but I, everyone was telling me I was wrong. And at some point, they're like, oh, no, we're getting a government shutdown. I'm uh, like, I'm wrong on this one. And I wasn't. I should have stuck to my guns. So I'm going to stick to my guns in the future and just take the chance of being wrong. I think Kevin McCarthy survives it. Look, Gates didn't actually make a motion to vacate. He said, I gun 
want to make a motion to vacate. That, that's all he said. He got up on the floor of the house yesterday. He didn't make an informal motion, but he said, I'm going to do that. You're all going to sit with me and you're going to do what I want or I'm going to do that. But he didn't do it, which is a weird, I, I don't know what he was trying to do. Float it out there and see who supported him or see what the public response is. He's a weird dude. He's a weird little dude. But I think they've got five or six Republicans that'll side with him to vacate McCarthy. But here's the thing. McCarthy negotiated. And kudos to Kevin McCarthy. I've been critical of him a few times in the past. But kudos to him. He did what was best for the country at potential jeopardy of his own speakership by working with the Democrats to get something passed to keep the government open. That is good governance. That is good leadership. He did what needed to be done rather than cave to what would have been the five or six Republicans that want to just burn the House down. And the House being the United States of America, by the way. And so kudos to him. He did it. He worked with Democrats. I think what will come back into play is there will be enough Democrats to help keep Kevin McCarthy where he is, because a Democrat is not going to be speaker. It would be better to have someone who at least can work with the Democrats than someone who just wants to make a name for himself or burn things down. I have an update, which is that the motion was filed. Oh, it was um, filed. It was formally filed. The clock is ticking. Yeah, I'm a little less interested, as I think you are, in trying to figure out the psychology of Matt Gates inside that immense forehead. There are things going on, I presume mostly loud circus music. He does look I, like a Neanderthal, doesn't he? I'm he, sorry, I'm just going to... He looks yeah. like a Neanderthal. I, I'm not... I'm Psychoanalyzing him as a road to nowhere. I do think it is a little bit more interesting to game out. The, the burning question for Democrats is, what can they get out of this? The second burning question is, maybe this should be the first, is what do they want to happen? It has been suggested by Politico, among others, that what Democrats in the House should want is to get rid of McCarthy because he is the most powerful fundraising force against them. He is a prolific fundraiser and therefore the kinds of members of Congress like Jared Golden of Maine who are in super swingy districts and always have really close elections are like, hey, if you have less of a fundraising force coming in and, and trying to prop up my challengers, that's good for me. I disagree. I think that's a little bit facile. I think you have to assume that the money is there on the Republican side I and agree. that I, I don't think Kevin McCarthy is like magic pixie dust when it comes to fundraising. So I'm not sure I buy that argument. I put forward in a video on Blue Amp yesterday and in a quick podcast with my Blue Amp partner, Cliff Schechter, that I think it's in the White House's interest to have calm and steadiness and the and that the House Democrats would seem to prefer chaos because it's easier to run against chaos. But on the other hand, it's easier to run against a boogeyman. And Kevin McCarthy is a reasonable political boogeyman. And Cliff said, yeah, but you don't need that because you've already got Trump as a boogeyman, which I think is actually a good point. I think I buy that. So there's a lot of kind of on the one hand, on the other hand, what should they want here? I guess my proposition to you, if we were to game this out from Democrats' perspective, is I think they should just cut right through that. There are too many unknowns. It could play out any number of ways in terms of what's politically better. Have Kevin McCarthy, don't have Kevin McCarthy. Too many, what they should focus on is really the question that I put first. What can they get out of this? All they need to do to save Kevin McCarthy is let's say there are a dozen Republicans who line up with Matt Gates to try and get rid of him. All they need to do is have 16 Democrats vote present. They don't even have to vote 
for Kevin McCarthy, six out of 212 Democrats. And that's something that Hakeem Jeffries can easily maneuver to happen. So the question is, what's the deal? What do you get out of it? And in my mind, that's the only question that Democrats should be asking themselves. And how good of a deal can they get? So let me put it to you. Do you agree with what I just said? And how good of a deal do you think Democrats can get here? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Matt. You may have heard my recent guest, Matt McNeil, an outstanding progressive radio host out of Minnesota. And you might be thinking, I wish there were a show like that where I live. Well, you can listen to the Matt McNeil Show streamed live every weekday from 3 to 5 p.m. on AM 950 KTNF, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Or you can get the podcast of the Matt McNeil Show wherever you get your podcasts. I, I agree with your assessment, but is it weird that I think whether they're Democrats or Republicans that what the primary question should be is actually what's best for the country? Shockingly. Oh, that is the uh, best. But don't you think that if there were a deal that might actually be what's best for the country? No, I think that the what you're talking about and what others are talking about, the deal is what's best for my political party and my individual success as a congressman and how much money can I get in the coffers to uh, win re-election? Uh, all right. Can, can I run this by you? Here's what's on the table in in a prospective deal at least this is what's what democrats are buzzing about number one is let's stick to the spending caps that mccarthy agreed to with the president of the united states back in may to avert the debt ceiling crisis this was something that mccarthy was crowing about what he called a historic level of spending decreases nominally what the republican party is supposed to be about in terms of conservatism. So that would be number one, just stick to the deal you already made. Number two would be end this ridiculous impeachment inquiry. Although honestly, it was such a disaster on Thursday in the oh, first, oh my God. When their own witnesses are saying there's no foundation for an impeachment. Oh, their own witnesses. Their two best opening witness, your opening salvo was a cell phone. This is crazy. Anyway, it's like, Look, it's I, I am not a supporter of Joe Biden at all. I don't think he's a good president. I, I think he's a good man. I just don't think he's a good president. But impeaching him is so ridiculous on what loans. And when you've got someone like Jonathan Turley, who is absolutely a Trump sycophant, who is sitting there as a legal scholar and expert saying- That's a euphemism for lightly attached to the, I won't say what I'm about to say. But anyway, yes, he is, let's just say, very much in with Trump. Very much in with Trump. He sits there and says, there is no foundation for impeachment. He's your witness. Guys, it's a joke. And Jim Jordan, put on a friggin' suit coat. You're in one of the positions in, the, in Congress. It drives me batty. You're not cool, bro. It's not cool just because oh you don't put on the sports jacket. Put it on, look like a gentleman, and stop yelling at witnesses. Look, that drives me crazy. There was a time in my life when I was in graduate school where I considered also getting a law degree. I decided not to. So I'm not a lawyer. But I've watched enough crime procedurals to know that the first rule of cross-examining a witness is never ask a question you don't already know the answer to. James Comer, you intergalactic moron, why would you not only call a witness but then ask a witness a question where he's going to directly tell you that you're a freaking idiot to your face? It's so wonderfully stupid. Bad. 
So anyway, yeah. maybe what's on the table in a deal for Democrats is end the impeachment inquiry. I'm not so sure that Republicans aren't hurting themselves, but that's part of the deal. So my point to you is that I think what Democrats are looking for here in terms of a power sharing agreement and some concessions from Republicans are actually things that pass your test, Alicia, that are good for the country. It's stick to the deal you already set that's a reasonable compromise on spending levels and this insane impeachment inquiry and let's get back to focusing on real work and let's pass some legislation that we agree on and maybe let's have a little bit of a power sharing when it comes to committee membership so that we're passing more bipartisan stuff that seems good for the country that, that does seem good for the country, but what legislation do they want to pass? Because I haven't heard anyone talk about anything substantive. Everyone gripes about the border, right? And yet no one's proposed anything I've seen of any substance to address the fact that we have a serious border issue and a serious illegal immigration issue. No one's actually proposing anything to address it in a substantive way. We've got massive costs of health care increasing annually no one's talking about any way to substantively fix that we've got gas prices soaring no one's talking about any way to fix that we've got you're not gonna fix that back. why not because that is an internationally set commodity yeah, there are like, still ways the u.s can no we they're can. all performative they're all performative they're not Listen. performative it actually there are millions of ways that it can be addressed wh whether it deals with increased fracking or other things that you can actually reduce We've, domestic with it the, what are we going to do Let, we're going to promote no, electric cars with a twenty-five thousand dollar battery in them no the that, binding that's constraint on oil and gas production in the u.s has absolutely nothing to do with u.s policy it has i have i i literally just had an expert on this that I actually happen to work with my consulting life. I had an expert on this, not a liberal, I promise you, who directly advises oil and gas firms on to talk about this. What happened was after the fracking boom, there was a fracking bust and all of the production capacity, everyone who had invested in, let's produce more oil and gas in the United States went bankrupt. They went out of business and that killed the business cycle of production. Once prices went up, that sent a market signal for them to come back and they are coming back. And if you watch the production curves, they're all going up. They're going up substantially, especially because the price shock of the Ukraine war has now caused a search for demand coming from Europe for liquefied natural gas, which is creating a flood of interest in production in Louisiana and Texas in the US. All that production capacity is coming online. There's not a lot more that we can do from a US policy perspective. Mm -hmm. This is an international Keystone pipeline commodity. would have helped. The Keystone Pipeline. Would it would have had, yeah. there's actually been plenty of economic analysis. I, you know what? You can find an expert to defend your side. I can find this, experts this would to have defend had, mine. This would there's have experts had, that would, not, would have helped. It would have had a minimal, tiny I'll impact. Take minimum budget in America? Half a penny. Yeah. Good luck. I. You know what I will do? I will send you a check. Out of all of the proceeds I will give you of, of this show, mm. we're doing, by the way, we're getting some awesome ads on this show. I actually quite enjoy the ads we get on this show. Like, I listen really once in a while, I'm like, someone's actually advertising us? That's yeah, we reach an intelligent audience of, actually, our audience skews a little bit older. We're people who have some means in our lives. People want to advertise with us, which is awesome. That's I just awesome. a little ad for myself on on. Anyway, I'll pay you the extra half cent. Every time you fill up, send me a check. Anyway, or send me a bill, send me a bill. My point is, I think there is, I think there is a bipartisan power sharing agreement to be had here. And there's a model for this. There's apparently discussion going on among New York 
Republicans who have been part of a power sharing agreement in the New York State Senate. There is a precedent for this in Maine. As a matter of fact, my former boss in Congress, Congressman Mike Michaud, was part of a power sharing agreement. They had an exact 50-50 split in the Maine Senate in the 2000 term. And in fact, what happened was, so what they agreed to was year one, the Democrats will have the majority. Year two, the Republicans will have the majority. And a Republican senator died in year one. There was a special election and the Democrat won. So now the Democrats had an actual majority going into year two. You know what Mike did? He kept his word. He kept the agreement and he gave the Republicans the majority in year two because he said, that was the deal we made and I'm sticking to it. And I just want to acknowledge that it's 20 year old political history in Maine that no one cares about. But one of the things that came out of that was a very productive legislative session where they did bipartisan legislation that was really good for Maine. And so is that too far fetched to think that something like that could happen in Congress? I can be more current in the 2023 legislative year in New Hampshire. The legislature was split. I believe we have 400 members. There was one or two vacant. It was like 198 to 202. Yeah, something as tight as you can be. And what that means is all you need is a couple of people not to show up on any given day to vote. Because there are 400 freaking members of the state legislature in the country. Right. Third, third or fourth largest in the English-speaking world? Fourth largest body in the English-speaking world. Largest state legislature in America. So what- the so there's always people not showing up. Always people not showing up. So anything can happen. And what was an amazing result is, first of all, the speaker, who was Republican, because they did have the slight edge, made committees 10-10. So there's 10 Democrats, 10 Republicans. Republican always got the chairmanship. Democrat got the vice chairmanship. But there's just as many Republicans as Democrats on every committee. And guess what? Stuff got done. It was a budget year. Want to know what happened with the budget? It passed on a voice vote. Then it went to the Senate and it passed unanimously. That's because it was good governing. It was people who said, and I spoke to the, the majority leader at the beginning of the session, said, how do you think it's going to go on a radio program? And he said, I've sp he spoke to the Democratic leaders, so we've decided we're just going to work together to make sure we get things done. And guess what? They it's actually worked together and got stuff talking. Hey, Washington, pay attention, do that. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. There is a model here, and I, I want to circle back, and then we can move off this topic. I want to circle back to what happened over the weekend because it was interesting. It was highly revealing. And just it, permit me to go into one piece of weeds, just one piece of the weeds for just a moment because I think that there's a payoff at the end of it. There's an interesting nugget in what happened over the weekend. Okay. In the week leading up to Saturday, Kevin McCarthy had been trying to appease the Freedom Caucus, trying to appease the hard right-wingers here, Alicia. And he was doing everything they wanted on spending and on border and on keeping Ukraine aid from being in any spending package. And finally, they would not allow him to pass anything. 11th hour, literally, he goes the other way with it. And he says, I am passing this stopgap measure I'm just throwing it at the floor. No one's going to have any time to think about it. I'm doing it. And because I'm doing it so late under the House rules, I can't just bring it up as a regular bill. I have to bring it up under this very special procedure that they have in the House called suspension of the rules. Mm. Normally, yeah, you use that 
just to do really run-of-the-mill stuff. Like frequently you do it to name post offices. That's the kind of thing you'd bring up under suspension of the rules. You need a two-thirds majority to pass anything under suspension of the rule. And so Kevin McCarthy brings forward this continuing resolution, the stopgap measure, under suspension of the rules, but he cuts out Ukraine aid. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Because he's already risking running the, incurring the wrath of the Freedom Caucus, getting this motion to vacate, which did indeed happen. So in for a penny, in for a pound. Why not go whole hog? I'll tell you why. Because ultimately, 90 Republicans voted against this. 90 Republicans. And so because it's under suspension of the rules, you need two thirds. You need to get to one total to pass this. Kevin McCarthy had done the count. He knew the numbers. He knew that if he included Ukraine aid, he would lose about 50 more Republicans. And he couldn't afford that or the whole thing would fail. So what's interesting to me about this is two things. One, it's very revealing. What this says is there are currently at least 50 Republicans who are so hell-bent on not helping Ukraine and tacitly helping Russia that they would be willing to tank the entire U.S. government to do it. That is despicable. But the other thing it tells me is that part of any prospective deal with McCarthy to save him would be, hey, you've got to sideline this faction. We've got to actually put forward an agenda through the House that is much more centrist. We've got to put these people, they've just got to go off in a corner. And no more Marjorie Taylor Greene running the show. No more Matt Gates running the show. And the prospect of getting there is really tantalizing. This could turn into a really good thing. Look, the Ukraine aid thing is, it's disappointing. But I, I actually feel like a bill will come out. It just has to be separate. The majority of people in Congress, the large majority of people in Congress believe in supporting Ukraine. What those who are loud mouthing about stop giving money to Ukraine, America first, rah, 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 what they're doing is they're playing, and I apologize for what I'm going to say next because it's going to sound rude, but they're playing to an ignorant public who doesn't understand and has better things to do in life than spend time trying to learn the global reality of a Russian advancement into Ukraine. It's much bigger than Russia owning land in Ukraine. It's a massive global disaster. It's a disaster for democracy, for freedom. It's a danger to NATO, which would put us in, for those who don't understand, boots on the ground if it goes even one step further than Ukraine itself. It's an expansion of Russia and its communism and its authoritarian government. But look, a lot of people don't understand that. And that's fine. And what these Republicans, the minority of Republicans are doing is they're playing to that ignorant base is what they're doing. It's not, they know better. Oh, we've got to give money to Ukraine. They're out of their mind. They know no, better. Agree. And you know what? I'm going to agree with your other point. And we saw this in the Senate, right? 77 senators voted for a measure that would continue aid to Ukraine. I've already said on this show that I applaud Mitch McC for his outspoken advocacy for Ukraine. There is a consensus on Ukraine in our leadership in government. There is a strong consensus and it involves both parties. But as you say, there is a very vocal, and I have to say through my little math exercise a moment ago, it's a pretty freaking substantial portion of the Republican Party that has gone, it's the pro-Putin caucus. I, I was talking with senior Senate aides by over text message on Saturday, 
And that's what they were saying. It's look, there's no other way to say this. This is the pro-Putin caucus, but it's not just on Ukraine. It's on many issues where you have this faction of hard right wing nut jobs and they're drowning out what would otherwise be a pretty functional middle. And so I'm just hoping, I'm just hoping that is something that can come out of this. I am in favor of cutting a deal with Kevin McCarthy if it means let's have a centrist agenda for a little right. while. Let's just try it. I agree with you. And, and I'm all for McCarthy cutting a deal with the Democrats in order to do that. On the pro-Putin thing, though, here's the reality. As everything most of these days, it all goes back to Trump. And it goes back to something really bizarre. And that is that Donald Trump wants to be Vladimir Putin. He does. I have a man in my life who once said to me, who does not like Russia, does not support communism, said, at the end of the day, secretly, every man wants to be Vladimir Putin. <laughs> and if you think about it, there's a part of that's true. But Donald Trump actually vocalizes it and actually believes he can be. He wants to be authoritarian. He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be feared. He wants to be Vladimir Putin. So he idolizes him. And guess what that means? Those who worship him worship Putin because he does. It's a scary reality. And by the way, everyone should look at John Kelly's latest remarks about Donald Trump if you really think that he's a man to be honored. Oh, funny you should mention. Should we do this week in Trump for just a few minutes? Perhaps. Would you like the honor of going first and speaking to John Kelly's remarks? Would you like me to quote or, or would why, you why don't you? Say? I don't have it in front of me, but- uh, Allow me. Mm -hmm. Former White House Chief of Staff, John Kelly, officially confirmed, and I'm going to quote here, some stunning details of comments Trump made as president about military veterans in an interview with CNN's Jake Tapper. He verified for stories originally uh, told by uh, Jeffrey Goldberg in The Atlantic that Trump said that Marines who died in, in battle were suckers and those buried in an American Senate were losers. And here is Kelly's comment. A person who cavalierly suggests that a selfless warrior who has served his country for 40 years in peacetime and war should lose his life for treason, he's speaking of General Mark Milley here, in expectation that someone will take action. A person who admires autocrats and murderous dictators. There's more. There's more to the quote here. Anyway, he, he goes on to say this is someone who is pretty vile and not only should not be running for president, should be just cast out of American life. Can I add to that for a second? Do you want to comment on that? Or do you want me to throw in Trump's comments outside his civil trial yesterday? Oh, throw those in. Those are good. Okay. So Donald Trump was in New York Monday. This is going to become increasingly difficult to keep track of where he is for his various uh, trials. He was in New York as part of New York Attorney General Tish James's $250 million civil fraud trial against him and his company and two of his children, in which the judge has already ruled because, by the way, Trump's own lawyers screwed up and they didn't ask for a jury. They didn't ask for it. And so the judge was like, okay. The whole thing's so bizarre. James asked for something called summary judgment, which means, judge, before we do a trial, can you just rule on this? And he said, I think there were seven counts. He ruled on the big one and said, yeah, you're civilly yeah, responsible. You're definitely guilty. You were definitely guilty. So now the rest of this is just how much of a penalty will there be? So Trump shows up outside the courtroom and says, by while glaring at Letitia James as if she's going to be intimidated by your candy ass, we're going to be here for months with a judge that already made up his mind. It's ridiculous. Yeah, he made up he, his he mind. That's he his ruled job. against you. That's his job. That's, that's, that's what a judge does. Matt, you're missing a big portion of this, though. 
Oh, it's all so just the grand conspiracy. Oh, yeah. And this judge is just in on it, just like <laughs> every judge in D.C. and Georgia and Florida and all the judges in the 61 cases about the 2020 election. You're missing out that it's all just part of the same conspiracy. Yes, Trump did make that point. He, in fact, said, and I quote, this is a judge that should be disbarred. This is a judge that should be out of office. This is a judge that some people say, what do you mean some people say? Dope. Some people, meaning you in the mirror, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. This is a judge that some people say could be charged criminally for what he's doing. He's interfering with an election and it's a disgrace. First of all, Trump, you chicken hawk, I defy you to walk back in the courtroom and say that to the judge's face. Please, please do that. Please learn a lesson here. All right, over to you. I'm done. I'm quoting, but like, it's this week in Trump. Anything about John Kelly? John Kelly, the starkest comment he made, because he's a man that knows what he's talking about, because like Mark Milley, he's a man that served his country for his entire life in wartime and peace. And the starkest comment he made was, God help us. Amen. I I think, can we add, in invoking the divine power, is there anything we can add to that? I, I don't think so. I think that's it. All right, look, let's let's close on a hopeful note. There is a trial underway, or there is, sorry, there is an, an appeal underway for John Eastman, last seen trying to destroy America with his memos suggesting that Donald Trump could legally overturn the election and had every right to do so. It was weird and very criminal. Clarence Thomas, it's not great. So (laughs) Clarence, this has reached the Supreme Court and Clarence Thomas has recused himself. Now, why am I bothering to mention this? It's because Men was once a clerk for Clarence Thomas. Go figure. And of course, Clarence Thomas should recuse himself from a case involving his former clerk. But what about Clarence Thomas would lead anyone to believe that he would do something moral, ethical, or even legal? This is where you're being ridiculous. You're I'm not being ridiculous. You're for doing exactly what he should have done. Can't I win. can do both in the same. Of course he can't win. He has no right to win. He's ridiculous and he's- How and dare he do exactly what he should do? I will mock I'll exactly say, what he should do. He should I'm do. not going to praise him for doing what he should do. I just think- But you're criticizing him for doing what he should do. Or mocking well, I'm just him saying it's a surprising it. story. That's so all. You're mocking him for doing what he should do. No, I'm mocking him and noting. It's an it's not an It's not an or. It's an, I am mocking him and I'm also saying- Hey, look at that. He actually, for once, did what he should do. Any reaction to this? No, kudos for Clarence Thomas for doing exactly what he should do. Yeah, really I, great. I've got and nothing more profound on that one. I, I, You know what? I think that's hopeful because I honestly think there's a world where Clarence Thomas would, as he has been doing for a decade and a half, just thumb his nose at the world and say, I don't have to do anything. I whatever I'm like to quote the philosopher Eric Cartman, whatever, I do what I want. And he could have done that. The fact that he didn't speaks to, to me of the fact that there's been so much pressure on him. And maybe a little bit of public shaming can work. That's good. That's hopeful to me. You're unimpressed. Alicia's doing her Michaela Barodi, I am unimpressed face. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here. I find that hopeful. I find the fact that there could be like a deal with Kevin McCarthy in which there's some sanity hopeful. I'm going to I find that hopeful. All right, go Taylor Swift. For Alicia, I'm Matt Robeson. See you next time.